Well, grace and peace to you all this morning. Uh, thank you for having us here with you this morning. It is a great honour and a privilege. And as Jude said, it's lovely because we know quite a number of you guys and spent time with you. And it's really good uh, to be here and share. It was some time ago when we were invited to come and worship with you and share about Good News work and brings God's word. And we've been looking forward to it for a quite a long while. And on that basis, as a reflection of what Jude has shared with us about good news for everyone, um, the title that I've given, uh, uh, what I'm bringing to share with you this morning, the title is Living Response as a Witness to Gospel Commands. And I thought I'd break it down into two very simple sections, responding to the gospel and the outworking of a response to the gospel. So if someone tells you something once, it could be important. But if they repeat it a second time, then they really want us to listen up, don't they? However, what if somebody says something five times, then I guess it must have some real significance. Then even more, what if someone commands it five times? It clearly is an order that must be carried out. And if the creator of all things, through the words of his son and recorded in his written word for us to read and listen, commands it five times, then surely, as Christian believers and followers of Christ, I suggest that we should respond to that as primary importance. Let me share these commands in each of the Gospels and the book of Acts. So in Matthew, the most famous one that we would all know, in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, God's word says, and Jesus... And Jesus came to speak and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And then the short one in Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into, uh, and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, also I send you. And the fifth time is what Jude read for us early in, those, uh, in Acts 1, uh, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, or witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. So those of us, in good news for everyone, are responding in obedience to these commandments and commissions of God himself. And all of us, isn't this true, brothers and sisters and friends? As Christians, we are commanded to do that. But before we can be obedient to God's commands, it might be useful for us to be thinking about a starting point, as it were, before we go to all the world with the gospel, even starting with the Jerusalem here in Billinghay. But before we come to God's word, let's pray together and ask God for his help. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a speaking God. And you speak to us through it. This morning we pray, as we look at your word, would you challenge our hearts and would you challenge our actions? As we are called to be witnesses for you, would you help us with your word to equip us to go out for your kingdom and for your glory? And we pray these things in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, let's look at the living response to the gospel commands as a witness and first of all responding to the gospel. There are of course, I think, two strands to being a witness to and an ambassador for Christ. Both of them, if you like, have the same core as it were. We are witnesses to both those who we don't know the Lord, those who are unsaved, and we are witnesses to our brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement. They both have the same core or starting point, and that is how we live our lives as a witness to Jesus. And that passage that Jude read from 2 Corinthians, those verses 14 to 17, is to help think about the example that is written about there, that how that looks using the Apostle Paul and his co-workers, one of course, if we think about it, would be Titus, as he refers to in that passage of examples of what we ought to be. Because it says there, uh, in, yes, that's it, thank you. For it says there, we are to guard the fragrance of, of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who, who are perishing. And in another version, it says that known to God is pleasing. It uses the word pleasing to him. I have a friend, and I know there's a couple of people here that will know who I'm talking about. Um, who taught missionaries in a Bible college. His name is Colin. And he was telling me he once had a student who did not have English as her first language. And trying to encourage her fellow students, he declared how they all stink. She was, of course, trying to say that they had the fragrance of Christ and how that was pleasing to God. You see, when I reflect on that passage... I say to myself, Jeremy, are you stinking of Christ today? Are you pleasing to God? Because that fragrance is around us all the time, isn't it? Especially when our guard is down and we are responding naturally, maybe in our own homes and in front of our own family. You know, it's that case of, will the real Jeremy Bass please stand up? And is our fragrance naturally of Christ 
And this is an issue for all of us in the Western Church of Christ today, in Western culture. Are we the same here on a Sunday as we are out there during the week? In other words, are we responding to the gospel every day in our lives? And are we being those witnesses we are commanded five times to be or only on a Sunday? And that is the very core and essence of what Paul is referring to in that 2 Corinthians 2 passage. And just, well, it's not an aside because it is important, but this can become particularly poignant, I think, when we are suffering. It reminds me of the pastor and theologian John Piper's book, uh, which he wrote, which is Don't Waste Your Cancer. And he wrote that as a cancer sufferer, which highlights how we can be the best witnesses during our times of trial and suffering. It's not always about living well, is it? But it's about suffering and dying well as a witness to Christ. We've just had an example of that uh, uh, back at Grimsby Baptist Church. And our dear brother, some of you will know, Andrew Gulliver, who was called home during the summer, but it was his manner of dying, fully knowing where he was going, which was a great witness to us, a great witness to God's glory and an encouragement to us all. And for those who believe, I know, as Billy Graham would say, he is now more alive than he's ever been. This is how we should be living. Witnesses to the Lord Jesus and the gospel as we seek to exhort or encourage one another daily as it were commanded in Hebrews 3.13 by living as that beautiful fragrance of Christ to the pleasure and glory of God. So let us remind ourselves again of, of that uh, Verse in 1 Peter, chapter 3. If you could put the next one up. Bless you. Thank you. And as it says there, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I also want to read another version for you just to round off our thinking around that verse. But in your hearts, on a Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So let's dive in to that first part of 1 Peter 3.15. And it says there, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, or but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. This goes back to the very core point of how we live our lives. We live our lives in response with great joy to our holy sovereign God who in love and grace brought us as sinful rebels back into a loving relationship with himself at the great cost borne by our Lord Jesus on the cross. Amen? Amen. And it brings me to mind, the next one, Richard, bless you. It brings me to mind, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this is, I want to talk about a guy who died in 1793 and who is still preaching today. Yeah? 
you heard me right he's still preaching today because he this is his gravestone and it is of uh, John Berridge uh, at Everton and Everton is on the border of, of, of Cambridgeshire and Bedfordshire and it's really wonderful and if you can't see that which I don't think everybody can but don't worry I'll, I'll read it for you <clears throat> and it says this here lay the earthly remains of John Berridge the late vicar of Everton and an itinerant servant of Jesus Christ who loved his master and his work and after running on his errands many years was called to wait on him above. You ready for the next bit? This is it. Reader, art thou born again? No salvation without new birth. I was born in sin in February 1716, remained ignorant of my fallen state till 1730, lived proudly on faith and works for salvation till 1754, admitted to Everton Vicarage 1755, and if, sorry, 1755, just if you think that might be the wrong way around, it is, but I'll explain why in a second. And here's the great one as well fled to Jesus alone for refuge in 1756. Fell asleep in Christ on January the 22nd, 1793. Doesn't that fill your heart with joy? Doesn't that lift you? It lifts my heart. In fact, you know, you don't need to do the rest of the sermon, but unfortunately I am going to carry on for you. But I mean, it is wonderful, isn't it? And if you read the story of John Berridge, who knew, he was a contemporary, and he knew quite well both Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, by the way. He was quite famous in his day. <coughs> Excuse me. Those founders of Methodism. It's quite amazing. If you think of what is written on his gravestone, remained ignorant of my fallen state till 1730. He heard the gospel in 1730, but wasn't saved. He had not responded in repentance. He knew in his head, but had not responded in his heart. Lived proudly on faith and works for salvation till 1754. He thought he could earn his way to eternal life in heaven by being good, by becoming a minister, by saying he was doing things in Jesus' name. This didn't help him, as it wouldn't help anyone. Admitted to Everton Vicarage, 1755. Although ordained into the parish of Everton, his ministry did not go well. He was not seeing his congregation growing or flourishing. The Lord, as it were, was actually withdrawing his lampstand. Then in 1756, at his wit's end, he was moved by God's grace to prayerfully come before the Lord in repentance and was born again. And as he says, fled to Jesus alone for refuge. He understood the holiness. Always treat God as holy. He understood God's holiness and his bankrupt position before his heavenly father. And the only place he could run was to Christ alone for refuge. And from then, as he remained faithful, his ministry flourished and he grew and he stayed there for the next 37 years. 
He became the beautiful fragrance or aroma of Christ in Everton, which was pleasing to God. Back to our verse. There's also a sense in this verse, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, that there is a warning sign here. That you should have a healthy fear of God. In the same sense of the fear of walking out into a busy motorway, it, you know, having that fear is good. It saves from possible death or injury. Or the fear of heights falling off a cliff edge. Again, it's this good, proper fear. So we should heed the warning here and have that same healthy fear of God which saves lives, ultimately, for eternity. And we certainly need to get that in the correct perspective, to the fear of man. I would argue with you today that one of the greatest reasons that we don't evangelize is we get out, this, get out of perspective this fear of man over God. We've all been in that situation, I'm sure you'll recognize this, where someone is not saved and they're there with you. When it, <coughs> often it can be a close family or friend. And sometimes we have more than hesitated about not said anything. And when the time has come to an end, we've felt guilty and berated ourselves for not saying anything. I've done it. I know I have. And I had to come before the Lord in repentance and ask for forgiveness. In those situations, you see, I have feared man more than God. I have revered man more than God, and man does not hold my ultimate future, and yet. If you just go on to the next slide, Richard. <laughs> I read this. <clears throat> I was um, doing a course, and this was a course book I had to read, and I wouldn't naturally have read this book, um, but it was so useful. Uh, it's the book by Ed Welch, uh, When People Are big and God is small and he suggests three reasons why we fear man over God we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us we fear people because they can reject ridicule or despise us and we fear people because they can attack oppress and threaten us and all those reasons are true but let's look for a moment how scripture brings us back to revering God above all those reasons. And if we think back to the, one of the verses that Jude read, Acts 1.8. What did the Lord Jesus say before you will be my witnesses? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let us remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, that is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, living in us. And what did Paul remind his young co-worker Timothy of? In 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Please, brothers and sisters, hang on to these truths. They are very, very precious. I have to say that God used this book by Ed Welch in my life in a pivotal way. It has had a profound effect on me. Every time I find myself in those conversations and situations, it causes me to think of who do I fear most because whoever I'm talking to is not my saviour and judge 
and it also helps me in all aspects of life as I try to live my whole life for him. But this book in bringing us back to Holy Scripture doesn't take me beyond myself and make me over self-confident, helping me always to remember gentleness and respect or meekness and fear, as it says in NKJV, which we'll come back to in just a short while. If we could have the next slide, Richard. So let's go to the second part of working out our response to the gospel. So it says in our verse in 1 Peter 3.15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. First, let's look at this phrase, the reason for the hope that is in you. There are a number of well-known catechisms, aren't there? Uh, Westminster Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism, and not two years ago, the New City Catechism came out. And for those who do not know, these are summaries of the principles of the Christian faith in the form of questions and answers. And they're used for Christian instruction. And the Heidelberg Catechism begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and death? And I'd like to read you the answer because, again, it's one of those precious things that has been written. What is your only hope in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belonging with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, and not a hair can fall from my head. And we've heard that already this morning. Indeed, all things, and there we go, what does it say? All things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And these are the words that were the inspiration for the song of the Gettys wrote that we have just sung, our only hope in life and death, which we have just sung together. Just think about those words. I'll read one of the verses again for us just to make sure we've got this. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to him belong. Who holds our days within his hands? What comes apart from his commands? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. O oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess our hope in life and death. So the big question is, that arises from that, is how might we express or share him, Christ, to those whom we come across? Well, number one, I guess, it's through our testimony how God has rescued me from my sin to bring me back to him now and save me from an eternal future separated from him in hell and how he brings me hope for the future just as we have seen in those three testimonies that we shared in those videos 
earlier, and particularly with Andy Blastland, the last one. You see, this thing about testimony, it's real and it's true. And nobody can argue and take it away from you. And in today's culture, actually, if you think about this, uh, folks should listen to you. Because, to use a contemporary misused phrase, it's your truth. Even though it happens to be the truth. There is also a favourite Bible passage or verse that you could share. I think I want to just pause for a second with us all, if you're willing to do this with me. What's your favourite Bible passage that you could share? You know, the one that changes everything for you. Get it in your mind's eye. What's that favourite, your mind now swinging to that favourite Bible passage that changed everything for you? Could it be Ephesians 2? You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were saved by grace through faith, which is not of your own doing, but is the gift of God. Or is it 1 Corinthians 15, the great passage that argues that if we are not raised from the dead, neither was Christ. Or John 20, where the apostles frightened fear of death are changed to go out then from there to be martyred for Christ or even those very few first verses in John's gospel which I'll share in a second or what is your best single bible verse that you could share and actually if you do share them you are letting the word of God speak so let's just see what happens. And I want you to think about it. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to read the words of the first five verses of John's Gospel. But what I want you to think about is, think about if you're a non-Christian, or think about what a non-Christian might make of these verses when they heard them. Put that, yeah, there we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What would a non-Christian make of those? What sort of conversation might that open up? You see, sharing God's word is powerful you let it speak and the holy spirit be at work you see it's not your opinion it's what it says and a discussion for what a discussion from those five verses in john's gospel can open up but there is one thing that you could share with those five verses and that is the hope that it brings you that's what you can share Sharing God's word is such a joy. Because someone opens it up again, the Holy Spirit can be at work, illuminating scripture. And as you know, that's why we give out those testaments and Bibles as part of good news for everyone. So let's continue a little further. We're nearly there. Always being prepared. And the challenge for us all, of course, is always... So how are we always prepared for these situations? Well, 
We have a testimony prepared. We have it clearly in our heads at least. We keep it simple. What our life was like before we were saved, our conversion and what difference it makes to us now, how it's changed us. Keep it short to be engaging, to keep your listeners' attention. I mean, we, in Good News for Everyone, we carry Bible tracts and, and, and invites to events like our Christmas services, and, and you have be such things that will be for outreach as well. Jude has things in a handbag. I mean, you should see what Jude's got in the boot of her car. Great boxes of stuff. We're also disciples of God's word. We're not aiming to be deep theologians, but there is such a joy in knowing Jesus better through his word, and it equips us. And equips us for the work that he has set out before us. It says so in Ephesians, doesn't it, in Ephesians 2. All for his glory. And finally, we pray, prayerfully targeting those who we are witnessing to and want to witness to and ask for God's help in our preparations and prayerfully declare our willingness to be a witness to and for him by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, especially, especially in those times when we are going through trials and difficulties. And do you know, also being better prepared, if you think about it, it alleviates that fear we spoke about earlier. And by God's grace, the better you are prepared, the more confidence you will have. It's like putting on the full armor of God to make a defense to anyone who asks you. So the question here is, what if nobody asks? Does that let me off the hook? As Paul the Apostle writes many times, by no means. If we are living witnesses, folks will ask. If we are being distinct, i.e. different from the world, and luminous, showing the light and love of Christ in our daily lives, then folks will ask because of those things. Even if they think we're flat out weird, we still can be then engaged with them. Sometimes, I guess, the worst insult can be, oh, I didn't realize you were a Christian. Sharing this good news of the gospel, though, is an act of pure love. Sharing the gospel is an act of pure love. In the evangelistic course that many of you will have heard of, and some of you may even have done it, um, Christianity Explored. The presenter, Rico Tice, tells a story when he was a 16-year-old of one of his best friends with whom he played rugby on a weekly basis. Rico had never discussed faith or the Lord Jesus with him. And then his friend heard the gospel from somebody else. And the challenge he put before Rico was very moving. I thought I was your friend. I thought you loved me. Why haven't you shared this good news with me? I often leave books or Bibles in my office and in my car which can prompt a conversation. You see, if they want to know and the Holy Spirit is at work drawing them to be curious, they will follow up with a question to you. You know, what is this? Are you a Christian then? Or some such question. Sometimes they might... Uh, 
you know, sorry, I was going to say that if, you don't, if they don't really want to know and they're not being prompted to do it, they won't follow it up. They'll just let it go. But sometimes we do need to push a little fear of man over God. And you know, the real easy one for all of us is when someone shares with you bad news or a difficulty with you and you offer to pray for them. Surprisingly, they will often be grateful of that offer and always remember it. And of course, it may even lead to a further in-depth conversation or, you know, even sometimes, even at a further date. We come to the final part of our verse. You'll be relieved to know. With meekness and fear, or in the ESV, with gentleness and respect. One word that is often debated over in modern culture today is kindness. You must have heard it. Be kind. It says it, a lot of schools have it, a lot of institutions have it. And these, uh, when they argue about kindness, commonly over all the media, uh, <clears throat> and those who, um, sorry, who purport the all-inclusive liberal ideology of that will use it to often accept any view or action, you know, anything that makes you feel good and be happy, mostly in the terms of the sexuality or gender argument, because no one can be offensive and one has to show kindness above everything at the cost of reality or truth and then on the other side there's those that argue against that position again usually in the public forum will often be polite and remain calm in terms of their manners particularly if you've ever watched any of these debates when they descend into personal insults but they will ultimately say that truth trumps kindness, which then seems to give them the opportunity, despite them, uh, to be unkind, despite expressing themselves politely and clearly. But as Christian believers expressing biblical truth, that is not what this verse is calling to us here. So let's look together for just a second or two. Why should we always respond with gentleness and respect? You see, there's some wise words for us in the book of Proverbs, in the first verse of the 15th chapter. A soft or gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we as humans are provoked by harsh and ungentle words and turn towards anger, heels are dug in and any rational argument goes out the window. If you offend or make someone angry, they will not listen and they won't give two hoots about your reasoned argument. Respect and the showing of that respect towards others is trying to understand their viewpoint or worldview. And that will most commonly manifest itself by listening to them. And if we listen, we end up responding rather than reacting. The more my walk with Jesus goes on, the more I'm coming to understand that the Christian life is about response. How we respond to what Christ has done and is doing for us. And therefore how we respond to each other and through that as our witness to the outside, those outside of the Christian faith. 
But let's be real about it, folks. There will be times, however, when the message of the gospel will offend. The gospel is an offense to the world. But let it be that that is the offense. And as ambassadors for Christ, aim not it to be us in the way we respond. Response is measured by thought and control and, react, and reaction is relying on those unreliable things called emotions. When we are witnessing, the problem is it's often easier to react than respond. Our default position sometimes can be to react. If you just do the last slide, Richard. Let's consider those words, those famous words in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Just let me read them to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And here we go. Let's think about this too in verse 23. Gentleness and self-control. It's much harder for us to respond than react. So we must respond in the first instance to the Holy Spirit as per our verse in Acts 1 uh, verse 8, living within us, enabling us to respond rightly, remembering he has our back. So what is there to fear? And as it tells us in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? So it is important that we do respond in the correct manner because our encounter or conversation will come to an end. You know, being there at the time when somebody responds and turns to Christ in repentance in our presence is an extremely rare thing. Mostly, we are merely links in the chain of them in their steps towards Christ so we have to leave them with it not being us as an obstacle to that journey enabling God to use someone else to step them further down the line as it were towards him gentleness and respect and as a very final encouragement if you're responding in these ways in obedience to the five commandments of taking out the gospel and the fruit of the Spirit are clearly evidence. This surely should give you confidence that the Lord is using you for his kingdom and his glory in his great plan of salvation. And it is surely an indication to you that your salvation is secure and that you are being the aroma of Christ that is pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it challenges, how it shapes us, how it calls us to action. Father, be at work in our minds and our hearts. And we are here saying, Lord, use us as your witnesses and your glory. We are willing to be obedient to your commands. And we pray these things with all our hearts in the most precious of names, that of our Lord Jesus. Amen.